Good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. We praise you for being God. Truly let us learn something of you, God, to to know more of you, to be drawn closer to you. Truly give us your heart, Father God, to see how it is you view us and view this world and how we're supposed to live in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. Going back to something we touched on last week. Last week we was talking about us being one nation, one race of people. That the concept of race and our differences based on skin tone, skin color, height, width, and so on and so forth are superficial things created by man. God did not create that. That God made of all nations one blood of people to dwell upon the face of the earth. So it's God's plan and God's design and God's desire for us to live and to dwell in unity, to be one. And that in expression of discrimination, hatred, separation, based on any other thing other than the fact that God has created this person in their image and are made to just like them in the image of God is sin and it is wickedness. It is something that God is not pleased with. It's a sign of the ignorance and the sinfulness of man. Whenever we can look at one another and see something other than a human being made in the image of God, we see and show ourselves that we are people influenced and affected by sin. Because we all are one people. The blood that flows through our veins come from the same parents. And it was created by the same God, which makes us the same thing, which is human. That's the only race that exists on this planet. But as I was going through this, and this was a real tough week, I've been bouncing back and forth for the springboard. And it's usually pretty quick and very logical. The way God really speaks to me during the week. But this was a tough one. And actually I just caught an audible in a minute. But some sparked in my mind that I've been wrestling with for a little bit as I read through this. And we talked about that one week, last week, about us being one race and one blood. Let's read it. And i see if you catch what I caught. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. saying, the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meat for him. All right. And this was our springboard last week. And the thing we pulled out of this was the fact that the only thing that God declared to not be good in his original creation was the solitary man. That God created us for a community. God created us for a union and, and companionship, for social relations. That's the way God designed humanity to work. Because it was God's plan. I keep telling you, we're going to get the picture when we walk through the Bible. I'm going to try to show you how it works out through all of, all of creation. But God made one piece of a garden in a land called Eden. Eden was not a whole garden. It was not this vast, big old place that God made. He made one little bitty garden. On the east side of this place called Eden. And it was Adam's job to take what God put there and make the whole earth look like that. 
So Adam wants to take all that God put in him, all that God put in the garden and multiply it over the whole face of the earth to the whole earth look like that one piece of a garden. So that caused that, 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 that mandates the multiplication of man and the coexistence of man because Adam can't cover the whole earth by himself. And Adam can't take the skills that he learned and had God implanted in him and utilize it to all the earth. So he had to teach somebody. He had to train somebody up. Somebody else had to develop and there had to be some connection to go forth in order for Adam to fulfill his plan or for Adam to fulfill the plan that God placed in him, which implies that we're supposed to work together. That we were designed to do a task as a unit. But there's also another aspect that comes in this when it talks about it's not good that man should be alone. And immediately after this, God instituted his first institution, which is the family. God made family. That's the first thing he made before he made a church, before he made government or any of those things. God instituted the family and he brought a partner to Adam. And it says with somebody that was a help meet for him are suitable for him now in our day and age there has been some twisting that has gone forth and a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of this very same point so there's a lot of confusion a lot of distortion and a lot of corruption of what god has created based off a misunderstanding of this one point and i just give you the thought and the logic and it works out in many forms the idea is that God said it's not good that man should be alone. So what has happened in our culture is those, there are some people, theologians and, and, and leaders in the Christian community who has taken this point to say that it's a high ethic in the kingdom of God that man has companionship and that anything that fulfills this level of companionship is acceptable because God didn't want man to be alone. That's the basic thought. Since God said it's not good for man to be alone, anything that allows man to fulfill this level of companionship is good and it cannot be denied. So now what we have is a system of people who carry the label of Christian. A lot of them are leaders and bishops and in the church. And they have distorted this to allow for things that God has blatantly denied the initial level is that there's men that we know of or heard of who freely give themselves to women and they're quote-unquote single men single leaders of the church but they express themselves in this way because it's not good that man should be alone and so they allow themselves to indulge in things that god has forbidden because they aren't supposed to be alone. You understand what I'm saying? So they have deceived themselves into believing that the lifestyle that they live, bouncing and quote unquote looking for a mate is acceptable because God don't want them to be by themselves. And it also plays out in women. And it's women who have diminished themselves because God placed you up here. You are made in the image of God. Your destiny is to be with God. The supreme being who showed you your worth because he wanted to be with you and you ain't want to be with him. So what did he do? He died. And to my ain't no other dude on the planet that's going to be able to do that. 
So you got dudes that gonna get you a ticket. Two piece and a biscuit. <laughs> but this guy wanted to be with you so bad, even when you didn't want him, that he was willing to give up his whole life just to make that happen. That's the value that he placed upon you. That's deep. But you willing to bring yourself all the way down here and compromise what it is that you believe because it is not good that man should be alone. And this idea of loneliness becomes a tool that the devil used to distort and to corrupt you. And so we make concessions in our mind to alleviate us of the guilt and the shame that we feel for the passions that we have. Because God didn't want me to be alone. And the only way I'm going to end up with somebody is if I go do this, this and that, and so on and so other, because I don't see any prospects nowhere on the horizon. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Like I said, it's the same ethic, but it shows itself in many forms. And there's another category of people. I was reading an article from this bishop. I think he was an Anglican bishop, if I remember correctly. This guy divorced his wife publicly in front of his church. An Anglican bishop brought his wife up and he divorced her. And the reason he divorced his wife is he said he realized that God made him to be with men. No joke. In that he was robbing and cheating himself of the destiny that God gave him by being married to his wife. So in order for him to feel his true destiny, because being with his wife, he was still alone. Because he didn't desire her. He just did it because folks told him that what he was supposed to do. And there was still loneliness in his heart because he didn't feel that he was made to be with a woman. So this ethic of not being alone, this ethic of satisfying the companionship and the desire in his heart caused this man to, like I said, divorce his wife, sever his family, open publicly in the church and maintain his status as a bishop and a leader and a Christian. Because he don't believe that God will want him to be by himself and want him to be lonely. Because he was lonely in his relationship. Oh, listen to this other guy, his testimony. He referred to himself as a gay Christian. And the way he defined it is, is that he has passions and desires for men. He tell the story that he was in high school and um, he dated his girls, was a cheerleader and all this stuff, and everybody wanted the girl. And it troubled him because his friends would get more excited about her than he would. And it's just it's like it's all this going on in his mind and she'd be chilling and doing her thing and his friend would be bumping him like, man, you got it. And he'll just sit there like, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he came to the realization, according to him, that he was gay. And now, because he's supposed to be a Christian and he grew up in a Christian home, he has this struggle. And the way he defines his struggle is that he denies himself for any other relationship because he ain't quite concluded that it's okay for him to be with a man based on his reading of scripture. And as I'm listening to his conversation in the interview, he's starting to lean towards that way. And the reason he's starting to lean towards that way is because he don't want to be alone. 
And so the place that he's stuck in is that I have these desires that I don't think the Bible want me to have. But God also told me it's not good for me to be alone. So I have to find some way to mesh the two. And so now, like I said, I've been listening to him and he ain't quite said it yet, but he's leaning towards it. You hear it in this conversation. So he's been abstaining from any relationships whatsoever because he's trying to be a good Christian. But he identifies himself as gay, but the older he gets, the more he wants a man. And the more he finds reason to accept that relationship. And he tell the story about how he saw, I think it was his mother. His mother or his father was in a very sick and they were dying. I think it was his father and his mother took so great care of, of the father. It's like, who's going to do that for me? Because God has me alone. And the thing began to trouble my soul because I realized this is a real thing and it's a real ethic and it is something that people really struggle with, this idea of aloneness. And this idea of being separated and being different from everybody else and, and not being able to fulfill all the desires that dwell in the, and, and, and so wells up in our heart. And the, and the crazy thing is, is if we can easily isolate these men, I was like, man, you, you want a man? Like, ugh. And that's easy. But we don't see the connection in this, in a distorted expression of the same thing when we have single women in our midst that's struggling with the same thing. And I believe it is our responsibility as a church and as a church family to, 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 to gather around these people. And, and seek God for the wisdom of how to lift them up and to strengthen them in their weakness because that's where we ended last week. That when you see a brother in the fault, you don't elevate yourself above them. Anything you see in yourself that makes you distinct from them, that makes you different from them, that makes you better than them, is sin. So what you do is humbly approach this person and seek to keep them, to restore them in the fellowship so that they won't have to feel alone because sexual expression of a desire for companionship is not the only means of expression that God has given us to be connected to people are y'all understanding what I'm saying so we as a church body has to do better to be more open to be more true with one another so that we don't allow our brothers and sisters to be caught in the trap that has led to the destruction of so many because we can be together for this time and we can see one another and we can smile and we can hug and have a little chit chat. But when we go home, we feel alone. And that feeling of aloneness is something that God, I mean, that the devil could attack. But understand that God created a family. And that a family is something that God has placed you in once you confess yourself to be a part of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by ourselves. I know America is a personal thing. Bible don't teach that. And you see that, like, so we teach our little children the Lord's Prayer. What the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. How many people that is? When I say our, that's more than one. Because it was just me, I would say what? My Father. But the Lord said, this is how you pray. Our Father. He ain't just mine. There's some other people in this family too. Which are in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give what? Us this day. Hold up. How many people is that? That's more than one. So you're giving us 
our daily bread. You leading us not into temptation. It's more than one. Because when God saved you, he brought you into the household of faith. We are a family. And we have to live as a family. But one crazy thing about a family is you have people like me in the family. What you mean by that? Going back to my natural blood, real family. Now, that was this crazy thing about me. My mama sitting there, so you can testify to it. I had the unique ability to be in a house full of people and disappear. I'm talking about completely disappear. There were times my mama had to come to the room and check on me. Like, boy, you in here? Because ain't nobody seen or heard from me all day. That just was the way God made me, I feel. I, I just disappear. Just in the midst, I can be with people and disappear. And, and God been working on me. I've been trying to learn and he'd be forcing me to try to talk a little more and all that other stuff. But, like, my mama had a friend that used to take me to work. <laughs> I mean, take me to school. And she dropped my mom off and take me to school. And soon as my mama get out of the car, sounds disappear from the car. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> there are no more sounds coming from the inside of the car. Because I had the ability to be mute. And not say an absolute word. And I learned later that <laughs> the lady went to my mom and asked her, like, does he talk? <laughs> and the amazing thing is I thought about it. I'm like, she lived right next door to her. She see me every day. How she know, don't know how I talk? To my, I've been in this lady's house for hours at a time playing the Madden. And she still don't know that I talk. It's because I have the ability to disappear. I don't know how I get to be like that. I'm just, that's just how I am. And so with people like me being in the family, it's hard work on everybody else. Because you ain't going to never know what's going on in my mind because I don't talk. You will never know if I'm struggling with anything because I don't talk. And I make a beeline to myself. And I feel more comfortable by myself than I do with people. So people have to intentionally be with me. Like, this is no joke. The family could be doing something that I enjoy to do. But unless they say, Zinc, come on. I won't do it. I just beat up. One time my sister tortured me because she realized this about me. And she would eat and I was hungry than a mug. And she intentionally sat in front of me and ate. Then offered me not a thing. And waited good until she got finished and say, you hungry? <laughs> and then hit me with the old classic expression of we folk down in the south. Close mouth, don't get fed. <laughs> In my crazy self, knowing I'm hungry, 
knowing that the only person that got food is right there in front of me and deeper than that, this is my sister. When I was little, the one they said, I look just alike. So if I would ask her, she would have gave it to me. She probably went in there and made me my own. But I was too scared just to open up my mouth and say, hey, can I have a little bit? So I suffered in my sufferings because of I not being able to just open up my mouth and say, hey, sis, I'm hungry right now. And what we have in our world and in our community, in our church, is people who are suffering in their sufferings. And we can't be like my sister. We have to be willing to say, hey, you all right? And we have to be sensitive enough to the spirit to hear when they say, yeah, I'm okay. To know you lying. What kind of okay are you? Okay is, and I really don't want to talk about it. I don't think you care. Or okay as in everything is really going good right now and I ain't got no problem. Like, which one is it? We have to be willing to have these conversations so that our people will not be alone. So that if we have somebody in the midst of us struggling with something, we can identify it and we can help these people. Because when you sit in here and you get to the point where I'm trying to get to my real sermon for this morning, things get a little crazy. (laughs) How do things get a little crazy? Because sometimes the Bible can be a little bit hard. And when you hear hard stuff like this, you need somebody to, to dry them tears. And to take you off the ledge. To say that, you ain't got to give up. You and the family, we're going to walk this thing out with you. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Let me show you how they work now. Now I'm, I'm going to blend my real sermon in this. But it's going to be a little bit different. Go to Psalm chapter 5. I'm going to condense it. Psalm chapter 5. I was going to take you on this journey. Psalm chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 1. Just read a little bit. Psalm chapter 5, verse 1. It said, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. My King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thy hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in the fear in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy mountain. This is, this is the deep little passage. This is a prayer of David. <clears throat> and he opening up with a declaration and he begging and he pleading with God to hear his prayer. Like, listen to me, God. Listen to me when I cry to you. Because unto you will I cry in my voice you're going to hear in the morning. And in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Now this is the picture. David's in a position that he want God to respond to him. He want God to hear his prayer. And the thing I want to pull out in this is notice his tone. Is he is needing for God to hear him. That's pretty deep. He's needing for God to hear him. He's praying that God hear him. He's praying. So in the mind of David, it's a possibility that God might not hear him. 
it, it shows like a mutual relationship type thing. And it's one of the things I've been trying to point out all this long time that God is a real person. And God is not a formal leg being. What I mean by that is you don't type a code in and get a result from God. Like there's no magical thing that you can say and you stand the right way and position yourself the correct way and you utter your words in the exact right tone in the exact right diction that then God going to hear exactly what you're supposed to say. That ain't how it works. God is a real being that you have to develop a real relationship with. And when we're speaking to him, Understand that you're speaking to a person in the same type of kindness, compassion, and mercy that you expect from a person you expect from God. Like, I don't just start talking and expect Basil to hear and respond to every single thing I say. I know it's some stuff that Basil don't care nothing about. So I'm talking about him, especially if she's young and in the cell phone generation. So by halfway through my talk, she's going to get to glossing. <laughs> <laughs> her eyes are rolling in the back of her head. And she's going to get the feeling her phone buzz, even though it ain't buzz. Just because it's been five minutes since she last checked it. So she get them phantom buzzes. So she got to check her phone. So I have to make sure I got a connection with her. Because she's a real person. Now God ain't as spaced out as Basie is. He got a little better attention span. And he can focus a little more. So I ain't got to worry about him checking his phone. But what I do have to do is respect him and understand that there's a relationship that is going on. But in this relationship, God has standards. And just because, like I can't create a relationship with Beza, I can't just make up one with God. And we've been talking about sin and the way that sin has ravished us and, and, and that our condition as sinful men has put us in a state of reprobation and what it means that we're rejected by God. So I want to flesh this thing out a little bit before we transition and to show you. Look at, look at verse. Verse 4, look what it said now. This is why David wanted to make sure God heard his prayer. He said, for thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. This is his understanding of God. God don't delight in wickedness. God ain't pleased with wicked things. That ain't something that make him happy. And he says, neither shall evil dwell with thee. Now, if we just reading that without getting too deep in it, this looks like it matches up with what the, the, the current, the common church saying. That I'm saying you hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? Cause he said he don't like wickedness, neither shall evil. Those can be things that people do, right? So God don't have no pleasure in wickedness, what we can translate and understand to be wicked acts. Neither Shall evil, like evil acts, lying and killing and all that stuff. None of that stuff ain't going to be with God. So we need to be away from that stuff. But keep reading. All right, get a little deeper. It says, the foolish shall not stand in thy sight, and thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Hold up now. That don't supposed to be in the Bible. That does not sound like what the man on the TBN told me. It said, the foolish shall not stand in thy sight, Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. So God can change from actions to people somehow. The foolish, that's a person. It's like he's not going to stand in your sight. And what the picture is, is when there's coming this time of judgment and the foolish come before the throne of God, they ain't going to be able to stand up there. They're not going to be able to dwell in the midst of the presence of God. And it says you hate all workers of iniquity. So this is the stance that God has. People who do iniquity, people who do wrongness, people who do badness, God don't like them. 
that's just plain what it's saying on the text. God will not let the foolish stand. God don't like the people who do wickedness, iniquity. Go to Psalms chapter 7. Psalm 7, verse 11. Said, God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. This is, this is another one of them scriptures that ain't supposed to be in the Bible, right? Like, how in the world is the Bible going to say that? God judges the righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. Loving gods don't be angry. Like, do loving people be angry? And then they messed up. Because it's like, every day. So if God is angry with the wicked every day, that's like all the time, ain't it? Is there ever a day where it ain't a day? <laughs> is, is, is that possible for there to be a day that ain't quite a day? Okay. Is there ever any time of the day where it ain't a day? Like, is night not Tuesday? <laughs> is there like a time limit on this thing? You think we need to read just right in the margin of our Bible and put daytime? <laughs> like, in the sun up <laughs> to sundown, like, God is angry with the wicked every daytime. That, that, uh, you think we need, we, we got the right to make that translation difference? So, oh man, see, now you're getting all deep and scientific and stuff. Like, so that don't seem right to say that God is angry with the wicked every day. Because that'll be like all the time. And then he put it in front of that, like, like this is a good thing, like it's a contrast. God judged the righteous. Now hold up, man. How are you going to judge the righteous? Don't we supposed to escape judgment because we made our confession in Jesus Christ? Like, ain't nobody ever sat in front of them two chairs with the man put the chairs in front of the church and said the doors of the church are open. And you go up there and you sit in that little chair and repeat after the preacher and sign that card. Like then they tell you then that like it's it. That's over with. No more judgment. We escaped. We've been delivered from the wrath of God. Right? That's what they say. But David talking about God judges the righteous and he's angry with the wicked every day. Like how God going to judge the righteous? Cause we righteous, cause we in Jesus. And God already judged his son on the cross. So everything I ever did, past, present, and future, already been paid for. So can't nobody judge me. God only one that could judge me, and he ain't gonna even judge me. Don't that sound better? Like that's the sermon I should be preaching at. Turn to your neighbor. <laughs> They say that God ain't going to even judge me. So what you doing judging me? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying then we can shout off a bit. Of <laughs> but that ain't what the passage that we got before us today. This one saying that God is angry with the wicked every day. God going to judge the righteous. And we're going to get a little bit deeper in that judgment as we go forward. But I just want to paint this picture a little bit. You see how God, how it is that God feels about sin. It's a deep thing to him. And it's something that has the ability to sever the relationship. 
It's not something to be glossed over. It's not something that we just, you know what I'm saying? I made a couple mistakes, you know what I'm saying? Everybody makes mistakes, you know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself getting, getting things. No, that ain't, that, that ain't, that ain't what you got. Go to Isaiah 58. We're just going to do one more. Just going to do one more. Isaiah 58. Uh, I mean, 59, I'm sorry. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquities. Your lip has spoken lies, your tongue have muttered perverseness. None call it for justice, nor any plead it for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies, and they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. This is this is a heavy piece of scripture here. This is God's declaration to the children of Israel. Now in this piece in, in the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is a very complex book. And you can pretty much get the whole Bible just in this one book. But what's going on here is Isaiah has been given declarations to the people of Israel. And a part of the declarations he has been given is that there's coming a day of judgment. That God is going to destroy. He's going to send calamities. He's going to send all these various nations against you. And by this time in the book, some of the things have begun to happen. The Assyrians came in in a wave and began to attack the, the nation of Israel. At this time, the nation was split into two. After Solomon did his foolishness and he sinned against God, God judged them by splitting the nation because he made a promise to David that he's going to always have a son on the throne so he didn't take the whole nation away from Solomon. So when Solomon's son came, ten tribes got given to this guy named Jeroboam, or Jeroboam, and two tribes stayed with Solomon and his family. So that's why sometimes you read the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah when you're reading in your Bible. You're like, ain't they the same people? At this time, they were split. And so what they refer to as the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel began to go under attack because they went away from God first. When Jeroboam took over the throne, he was scared that the people were going to go back to Jerusalem and start worshiping because the temple was in the south in Jerusalem. So what he did was he set up a golden calf and started making the people of the north of the children of Israel worship this golden calf. And he set up mounts of worship. That's why when you read in your Bible, in your New Testament, when Jesus was talking to the woman and she asked a question, like y'all say on this mount we're supposed to worship, we say on this mountain. That's where that separation come from. Because she was somebody from the northern kingdom, a Samaritan, and he was from the southern kingdom. Uh, she thought he was talking to somewhere. He was. He was a Jew. So he was from the southern kingdom. The Jews worship at the temple. The Samaritans worship at the mountain that Jeroboam set up. So that's how you had this split. So God began to judge them first, the northern kingdom. And in the midst of all these judgments, bad things begin to happen. Famines, like I said, soldiers coming in, wiping people out. And part of the prophecies of Isaiah was speaking to this issue, what was going on or what was about to happen in full. And so the question will arise if you in that place and you know that the stories and the testimonies that we got this mighty God who delivered our nation from 
Egypt. That's how we get here. And we conquered all the people of this land. We overcomers. And you hear all the stories of Moses and Joshua. And you, you got all that stuff in your history. And then you got all these foreign nations coming and taking over you. And things ain't quite right. And you're doing all the rituals like your dad and them taught you. And stuff still ain't working. The question would become like, hold up, huh? Is this God stuff real? Like, my dad had told me about Moses. And Moses had lifting up his hand and, and the whole Egyptian army being defeated. My dad had told me about Joshua and him just going out in the wilderness and get a game plan that destroyed a whole nation of Jericho. I'm saying I heard all these stories. And we know of Caleb and all those in, in the conquest that he took to get the land of, of Jerusalem. We, we heard all these stories. But now these people running over us, they're ravishing us. And we don't seem to have no type of relief coming on. That's, this is the type of, just put yourself in the situation. This is what they're going through. And the prophet show up. And he began to speak to what's going on in your heart. And he declared, you think that the Lord's hand is too short that he can't save? Like y'all think y'all being defeated because God is weak and some other power them overcame you? You think that you're going through famine and you're going through all these plagues of locusts and all the other stuff that were going on because God don't hear prayer anymore? That's not what's happening. Your sins have separated between you and your Lord. Just, just put yourself in the picture like that. You in this time of desperation, you worried about your family and your children. These soldiers coming. Like I said, famines keep happening. Droughts keep going on. You can't eat. You, all this stuff going on and you, you hoping and dreaming and you praying about these things and you like, God, where are you? And the prophet show up to tell you where God is. He ain't with you. That should be crushing. It's like, hold up. I thought God was always, all the time. I've seen the psalm that said, no matter where I go, whether I shall I go from your presence, whether shall I flee from your spirit. If I make my bed in the Lord's hell, you are with me. These are songs that they sung. And to have a prophet come up and say, you lying. God ain't with you. We'll mess your mind up. And then I flash forward and put ourselves in this situation. And we look at this anemic thing that we refer to as the church. And we got gospel everywhere. Got gospel movies, gospel videos. You know what I'm saying? We got gospel in, in Bibles, on papers, and CD-ROMs on our phone. You can listen to the Bible. You you got everything, man. They got satellites up there to just just broadcast gospel messages all over the world. But when you see here the people who's supposed to be the purveyors of the gospel, what you don't see is life change. And I didn't even find myself like, God, do, do you still change people like this stuff for real? Like, do people get saved? Cause I done read about what went on in the time past. I done read about the, the complete transformations that done happened to cities and happened to town because people went preaching the gospel. I'm saying I done read about clubs being closed and bars being ran out of businesses. All these type of things have happened. Whole nations being crumbled just at the preaching of your word. People being completely and totally transformed. I didn't heard listening to folks' testimony about how they were shooting up heroin and, and, and taking LSD, and now they completely over a nighttime transforming out, preaching the gospel and, and touching people's lives and prophesying and doing all that stuff. We heard the stories, but when we look amongst ourselves and amongst our peers, we don't see the signs of it. You're like God, do you like do do people still get saved? I mean, for real, because you go to churches. 
and you see these people they be crocking and be doing their thing like okay yeah these, these people are serious business then you get to know them and they be like hold up now I don't know if um Christians supposed to be doing like that I'm saying and, and people they abuse you and mistreat you and be mean in the mud but then want to come up to you and hug you talking about I love you in the name of Jesus now you don't love me man <laughs> I'm saying you, you don't. You mean to the mud. You mean. I like it. All they love in the name of Jesus that make you unmean. This is the real deal. I remember this time. The guy used to come out in the neighborhood and get us to take us to shoot basketball. And this one particular time, his wife came with us. And they bust us all the way over, like I said, look here for the project. So, like, five you up the court street is pretty much my whole world. Like, I ain't know nothing existed outside of that. Uh, that about it. That was the whole world. Like, we went to the promenade. That like going on an adventure. My dad used to go to the GDC. Go to my, we're going to the promenade. Oh, we're going to the promenade. Like, that was a big deal. <laughs> so when that guy came and got us and bust us all the way over to Frazier Church to play basketball, we're like, whoo, we're going to a whole nother world. Like, whoa, man. <laughs> Like, this is a whole nother place. This is a long way from Cedar Park. Like, but we over there and this guy, we, we playing ball and people supposed to be loving and they've been Christians and they've been coming out in the neighborhood. And we had a little break time in the middle of the basketball. Like I said, this particular time, I think this is the first time his wife ever came. So we had his wife and his children with him. And I was out, went to get some water. And one of the little boys came to speak with, to me, talked to me like, Hey, how you doing? I'm, Shooting up with little man, what's going on, little man? How you doing? Such and such. Then on my way back into the gym, I hear mama. You know how you y'all get that discreet little thing that mama do it. Get the get the little boy arm and put him right next to your thigh. I think like what little man did. <laughs> he finna get it. But then I hear as I'm going back in, you stay next to me. You stay away from right now. Hold up now. Who are these people? This one thing in my head. I ain't say nothing. I just, you just take note, put it in your back pocket. You stay away from these people. Like, hold on. Y'all drove all the way to the other side of town to come get these people, to love on these people. But now your son can't talk to one of these people. So y'all think it's just the quote-unquote white folk that be doing stuff like that. All these people had the same type of melanin I got in my skin. (laughs) See, that was your mind go. That's why I had to say that. (laughs) I told y'all ain't no difference. Everybody sinning like a mug. (laughs) <laughs> why the hell to say that nah these people got the same type of melanin like I got in my head they have way the same way mine does but I was a these people to these people because I was not like them in the sense of that was a whole nother culture but they supposed to be reaching out and loving this whole other culture. But their love for this culture came with a sense of fear and otherness from the people of this culture. I was still somebody different. I was still somebody less than. But they was in the midst of showing me love. And when you see stuff like that, they make you question, like, what in the world? Is this gospel stuff for real? 
is it don't allow them, if it don't allow them to truly love me and accept me and reach out to me when they done went out of their way to come over there to get me, I ain't asked them to play basketball with them. We had our own basketball court. They called him. They came. But they couldn't open because there's something inside of them that wouldn't just let me accept them. And that thing I'm telling you is sin. And it, like I said, it creates the question like, does, it, does God, does he still work? And I remember as I started getting into church, going to church, sitting in the office with these two bishops, deacons, whatever they were. And this brother come in, it's like eight, nine in the morning. He just getting to church. And he sit back, relax. Cause they in their own office. And, and they started to be real. Like, okay, I see who these brothers are for real. And I told you, I can have the ability to be in a room and disappear. So I'm just sitting there. And the conversation spark up. No exaggeration. This dude was that ain't hot. I'm talking about mad. Why was he mad? Cause him and his wife done just had a, a knockdown drag out. Because I can't remember what one it was. One of them didn't know the right way to squeeze the toothpaste out the thing. I'm serious business. And he going in. To my day, we at church. One of them holiness churches. One of them like extreme holiness. Like we, we don't, we don't cuss, we don't chew, and we don't hang out with people who do. One of them type churches. You know what I'm saying? We don't get down like that. But then, uh, piping hot, super mad, then y'all get to cussing. About toothpaste, man. And it's serious business. I'm like, hold on now. You the man that be baptizing people. The bishop give you the microphone on the Sunday and you the one that put them in the water. But you mad to the point where you can't get it off your chest and you and your wife and just almost had killed each other fussing. I bet you were cussing her out because you cussing telling that man about it. About some toothpaste. Like, for real? This is the type of stuff that Jesus doing people hard? He make it so you can't relate to somebody if they squeeze the toothpaste the wrong way. I'm saying this conversation I ain't never knew exists. I didn't even know there was a right way to squeeze the thing. I had to go home and read the instructions on the back of the thing to see how you're supposed to do it. Cause I ain't know, I ain't know these discussions that people had. I, I guess I grew up poor. And so it was about, what, six, seven of us in the house and you just have to twist that thing and <laughs> hope you get some up out of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause that little aim from the Dollar General had to go a long way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this was a new conversation to me. I don't know you to that and you you mess that thing all the way out. <laughs> but this broke went to my mind. But the question becomes like, does God really still save people? Like, or has God changed and, and sin ain't that serious of a business no more? And it's hard for me reading the Bible and reading stuff like this to say, nah, God, he still kept. So what we're going to try to do is, and just touch on it a little bit now. If God responds and hates sin to this degree and to this passion, how should we respond? Like, what should our relationship to sin be?
How, how should we look at it? How, how should we deal with it when we see it in ourselves and see it in other people? Like, what, what, what's, what's, what's it supposed to be like? And we just look at a couple of, watch, watch this. We're just going to look at a few. We're going to let Jesus preach. Go to Matthew chapter six. Uh, Matthew chapter five. Just take a couple passages just to get our mind right. Matthew chapter five, verse 27. It says, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now that's a very famous statement. Everybody know that. You look upon a woman to lust after her and say you committed adultery already in the heart. Now Jesus is getting real deep here. Because I know, like I said, a good old deacon brother told me, like, hey, you can look long as you don't touch. This is a real deacon told me that from a real church here in this real city of Montgomery. And the amazing thing is he was trying to pick me up to take me to a little church event to meet up with his niece. This is no exaggeration. Like, we're going to the church event. And this conversation, he spoke with me. I'm like, yeah, young blood, it's, it's all right. Ain't no wrong with looking at it. I'm checking him out. You can look as long as you don't touch it. This is a real conversation I had with a man who was picking me up to take me to the church event. A deacon. I guess they ain't made to this part of the Bible in history. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't make it down. But Jesus, if you look to lust, you committed adultery already in your heart. So Jesus amplifying this thing. Because in the minds of his audience, the only act of adultery was actually going and doing the thing. But Jesus like, no, nah, it's deeper than that. And what makes it even deeper, because if you go back to the beginning of this thing, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribing Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he started making stuff worse than what the scribes and Pharisees did. So what this picture is, these scribes and these Pharisees, they did stuff right outwardly. That's why he referred to them as whitewashed tombs. If you watch them, they look like righteous people. Like, but when it comes to the inside, they full of dead men's bones. There ain't nothing right about them. But he said, unless your righteousness exceed that, to go beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, you ain't got no way of entering to the heaven. Like, that don't sound like gospel. Like, all I got to do is repeat after this preaching, I get to go to heaven. But Jesus, like, your righteousness got to go beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You got to be better than what they were. So what's better than what they were doing? Doing it outwardly and being it inwardly at the same time. Because all they had was the outward form. They could give to people, but they didn't love people. So you need to be doing both. Like I said, they were outwardly not misstepping on their wives. But inwardly, they wanted everything they saw. Like, you need to be, you need to be the, the real deal. But then Jesus amped this thing up. He says, but I say unto you, that whosoever look upon a woman to lust after her, committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that thou, that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. This is deep saying. This, this is heavy. And now we're getting towards the response of how we should take this stuff. Now in the mind of Jesus, 
if my eye is the thing that is causing me to sin, that's causing me to lust, I need to be willing to get rid of my eye. Just, just think about the depthness of that. If my eyes causing me to sin, I should be willing to get rid of my eye. That's how deep it is. Say, so if your hand is causing you to sin, you should be willing to get rid of your hand. So how many concessions do you think Jesus would make if we go to him about the complaints and the struggles that we have? Just give you an example. Say so you got the people who, who uh, quote unquote, struggle with porn. All right, just take that for it. That's an easy one. Everybody easy to pick on. And they come to this, 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 get this theoretical counseling session with Jesus. So y'all going to fill in the gap for me. All right. So this man coming, struggling with porn, come to Jesus. And he'd be like, Jesus, I really love you. And I, I, I want to do right by you. But I'm struggling looking at these images on my phone. And just every time I get an email, a notification or something, it's something that ain't supposed to be in there. And they just keep coming, Jesus. And and I was praying to your daddy the other night. And I, I really believe he told me, uh, that I'm supposed to get rid of my phone. But I use my phone for business. I'm saying that how, how people get in contact with me. So uh what you think I should do, Jesus? How many of you think Jesus gonna say? Hey, I understand. You really need your phone. And you really can't live your life without your phone. So we got to figure out some other form of accountability to help you through this problem so you can keep your phone. How many of y'all think, just by show here and think that that's going to be the counsel of Jesus? Nobody think that. How many of y'all think we're going to put Jesus in, in, in the country ghetto version of Jesus? How many of y'all think Jesus going to say, man, I don't care nothing about your phone? <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> how many of y'all think that, 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 that'd be a little bit closer to how Jesus think about this thing? Because if he's willing to tell somebody, if your eye's causing you to sin, get rid of your eye. You think he's gonna say, uh, I'm saying, I understand you can't use no flip phone. <laughs> Jesus ain't worried about that. I'm saying, I don't want people joking on you at work when you pull out that flip phone, so you need to keep your phone. No! But these are the type of concessions that we make in our heart. That there are certain things we cannot live without. Even though these certain things put us in position that we know causes us to sin. You understand what I'm saying? And that's because we have the wrong mindset when it comes to sin. And we think it's something that is okay if we struggle with it and we got the long time, long as we get it right. That's not the heart of God. So if God would tell a man to cut off your arm, if that arm is causing you to sin, he would tell you to throw out your computer. Write a letter. He would tell you to smash your phone by a beeper. They still sell them. You can put data on them and everything. You can't get them but text messages though. If you can't resist flipping and going to something you ain't, get rid of your TV. Lose it. And even when you have to make these, like I said, there's people who really, this is a real deal struggle. And I don't want to minimize people's struggle. 
There's some people that, that, that have been ravished by these things and, and they cannot even see certain things because it, it, their mind has been so distorted. But they still want to live a life like a regular normal human. You can't. Because sin and messed you up. So in certain things you can't watch. And you be like, man, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with this. This, this ain't that bad. Yes, it is. Because when you see the little lady at the pool party with the with bikini going, your mind go all crazy. So you shouldn't be watching CSI Miami. You're like, ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yes, it is. Because every time you turn on the first scene, somebody halfway naked out of pool somewhere. <laughs> if they ain't a pool, it's a club. I'm talking about every episode. I don't care what happened on the thing. They could be talking about farming somewhere far, far out in Miami, but they're going to open up in the club. Boom, boom. <laughs> and you can't sit there and watch that stuff and be pure. But you're making all these compromises and you got all these things going on in your heart because it ain't nothing but a TV show. If that thing calls you to sin, get rid of it. That's the heart of Jesus. Let's look at a couple more. Luke 9. Let me give you two more. Luke chapter 9. Verse 23. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you the truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste the death till they see the kingdom of God. This is a heavy passage. It's one that you need to just go home and meditate on and allow God to really reveal it to you. But the opening of it said, if a man will come after me, this is Jesus. So if you want to follow Jesus, this is Jesus preaching the gospel. Because a Christian is a follower of Christ. So if you want to be a Christian, the first thing you got to do is deny yourself. Now that word deny yourself is a very, very strange word to put in the context of self. Because the word could literally be translated as to disassociate yourself. Now that don't make sense. Now we can say, if you want to follow Jesus, you must disassociate yourself with yourself. Now how the world you do that? Like, you got to disown you. You got to deny any knowledge of who it is that you are. Jesus saying this is the primary thing that you got to do if you want to follow me. This is first. So let's take this thing a step forward. Because Jesus is talking about cutting off hands and plucking out eyes. See, that's external stuff. We talking about getting rid of cable and all that stuff. That's external stuff. But Jesus is talking about disassociating yourself with yourself. So let's go back. So we got the brother, we got the sister who is struggling with this idea of loneliness and they're in this heavy state of temptation. And everything in them telling them that God wants them to be happy. God want to satisfy you. God want to bless you. And blessing for the Lord is this is what God wants for you. And this is what he got for you. And in the time of that vulnerability, you get that call. You get that text. You run into that old friend. And this is the blessing that the Lord had. Because I was just lonely. God. You just know how to answer prayer. Those only how people be. They be like real deep. I'm saying real, real deep. And then they just call y'all, call each other like, girl, 
I'm in demand today, let me tell you. <laughs> so that girl, he said, said so good. I'm talking about the Lord, no, it's good, brother. And then when they get to ask you questions about this, brother, ain't nothing in this, brother, what you say it is that you believe in God for in a man. Brother bouncing from job to job. <laughs> <laughs> brother ain't bite bit no more saved than anything in the world and you know it I'm saying you reach to him and start talking to him and he start telling you I'm saying maybe you can help me in my walk with the Lord cause I'm, 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 I'm saying I've been going through some things trying to get some things together too <laughs> yeah, y'all, y'all had them conversations before I'm saying, I'm saying you, you can help me out so maybe we can come together sometime you can teach me some stuff I'm saying, I'll come to church with you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know how them conversations? And deep down in the pit of your being, you be like, hang up the phone, hang up the phone, hang up the phone. <laughs> but it is, you go, yeah, we cool, because you really need to get saved. And I... <laughs> Then you call your friend. I'm ministering to you. I'm ministering. You would get mad. That's what you were doing. <laughs> that was all that was going on. And you said on the phone the whole time smiling. Whole voice change. You can't stop smiling because this man like you. <laughs> and then you get that one little sober moment. And you be like, should I call him back? Like, do do I really need to, to talk to him? Then your mind get to going. You're like, he, he really is a nice guy. And um, you really can't help him because he, he do need to be saved. And Jay be teaching to us about evangelism. And, and you got to reach out to people because you can't say you love people if you just let them go to hell. And, and I'm saying you can't do that. So I ain't going to go with him. I'm just going to call him to help him with his problems. Oh, y'all did some form of it. But the, what, the, what really be going on for, in the reality is, is you got a self that wants some stuff. And one of the hardest things to say no to is you. Especially when all of you is crying out for one thing. And we cannot make compromise and we cannot allow the drives and the lust of our heart to be the dictates of our lives. And you can't say this is just who I am. You lying. I always been this way. I say even even guys, some of the strongest other brothers do it. You know what I'm saying they be, be they be strong and they get there and they be like, and they be this is honest moment. See, you ain't gonna hear too many guys say this. This is when they really be honest. Like, bro, man, I, I, I just like for him to like me. You know what I'm saying? It feel good when a girl smile at me. You know what I'm saying? Say, hey, I really, I, I really ain't trying to do nothing. It, it really some brothers out there like that. They cannot resist just to have a woman smile at them. That like the, the it, it feel like the man. See, y'all women be crazy because you don't know. You smiling and saying, hey. And you thinking that, oh, that's a creep. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he thinking, bro, I got a dog. I'm telling you, man, I, I, I step down on the rat. Now nah, if I want, look at her. She's smiling at me. <laughs> See, that really, that, that's the internal conversation that be going on. Both of y'all don't know what be going on. Do you think you just being nice at work like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> And now you wondering why he would go the long way. You know what I'm saying? We at work. Just to walk by your cubicle. Cause this is when you can do that again. You know what I'm saying? You, you be like, hey, how you doing? And all he here on the inside, I got a cub. I got him. I ain't, I ain't gonna do it, bro. I ain't gonna do it. I'll show you, but I, I can get him if I want. Then you wondering, why this man just, what the man, he keep coming around me like that? Cause all your indications is I want you. That's how he read it. I'm just telling you how it is. Just ask some of you brothers at church. Like, yeah, they have a friend who just, just want to do homework for real. <laughs> I'm just saying, all we want, all we want to do is study. You see, like, you know that math stuff. I don't know nothing about it. While in their mind, I'm telling you, bro, I'm not going to die. I'm saying, I'm saying, I ain't going to do it like that. See my friend. You know what I'm saying? We ain't going, we ain't going to go down. <laughs> she don't even like him at all. She think he must, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> She's just trying to get up with all homework. But y'all gotta be conscious of this stuff. But what ends up happening is, this brother become persistent. Because your last, little, little last smile, innocent little smile, woke up something in him. And now he going out his way to pass by you every day. And he's smelling nice, he looking nice. And the stuff that you thought were creepers, all started, you started to squint your eye when you look at him now. God, you know what I'm saying? You ain't that ugly. I'm saying, <laughs> you know, I'm saying, I've done it before because this brother been persistent. And he keep coming and he keep coming and he won't stop. Then he finally asks you, you give him your number. Like, why in the world? If you don't want to talk to him, why would you give the brother your number? But you do it anyway. And now you mad and complaining to people. This man keep calling me, girl. I don't like him. I don't want to go out with him. But he keep persisting. So you at home struggling while he persisted. You struggle, he persisted. You struggle, he persisted. And then one day you crack. See, that's why this is the mystery that brothers don't, don't understand. Like we be asking questions growing up all throughout school. Like how the ugly baby dudes always be getting all the girls. Because you've been joking on that ugly brother all his life. So he used to rejection. So he's just going to keep going at it. He's speaking at everything that go by. He ain't going to stop. And they end up breaking. <laughs> Why are you too cool? Get your feeling hurt. The moment she said, oh, no, I ain't trying to be like that. Nobody will try to talk to you anyway, oh, ugly self. <laughs> what you think we ain't going to say? See, that's why you don't get nothing. But the ugly joke keep going on and these girls be breaking. Because they really want some attention and they really want a man, but they don't want him. But he won't stop. And so you got all this stuff going on inside of you. And the one thing you cannot do if the scripture be true is legitimize your feelings as they're righteous because the one thing you're supposed to do the first time you come to Jesus is disassociate yourself with you. So if you the only reason you're doing what you do, you're wrong. Following Christ should be the chief ambition of what you do. So all your desires, all your passions, all everything that's going on inside of you needs to be submitted to him. 
So we go back to my Anglican bishop dude. So he just say, man, I feel like I was born to be with men. These are the struggles that I have in my heart. And we can say, okay, that may be true. You might feel like that, but it don't matter because you don't follow you. You follow Christ. So you give up your passions. You give up your desires. You disassociate yourself with yourself and allow God to recreate you a new identity. That's why he said, if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. Allow God to format you. So yes, you've been hopping from relationship to relationship and that's how you always be in all your life. That don't mean that's who you are. Because you disassociate yourself with yourself and you allow God to reformate your identity. You lose yourself. I'm not who I used to be because God is the one in charge of me. I don't allow myself to make me who I am. I allow Christ to make me who I am. So I don't care about what's going on inside of me. I take everything inside of me and submit it to him. I disassociate myself with myself. I don't live to please me. I live to please him. That's the way we're supposed to be. That's and, and He put that first. If you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself. Give up on you. It's follow him. Y'all, y'all understanding what I'm saying? So are our feelings and are our temptations legitimate? Yes, they are. They're real. Your struggles are real. The pain that go on inside of your heart, it is real. But just because it's real don't mean it has to be your reality. Because God can take something and make it into something different. Think about the children of Israel standing on the bank of the Red Sea. It was a real Egyptian army behind them, a real sea in front of them. And they was really in a predicament that they had no possibility of escaping from. That was real. That death was imminent for them. That was real. But there's another level of reality that God reigns and rules here in the real lives of men. And he can take your real situation and transform it into a real story, a real testimony of his greatness and his glory. So just because it's real on the inside don't mean it has to be real in the way that you live. You understand what I'm saying? So you give up yourself, you give up on your inabilities, you give up on your weaknesses, you give up on everything that's you. So when you have these questions, you try to be deep and say, God, who am I? You just answer and say, I don't know, God, you tell me. Like, what's my destiny? I don't know, God. You tell me. What's my identity? I don't know. You tell me. Because all I learned at church is I ain't black. (laughs) This is reality. That Christ is real. And there's a real God out there. But watch this one little last thing. I'm going to leave y'all alone. Go to Romans chapter 13. In our response, and we're gonna pick up on this. And I'm gonna leave you with this. Romans 13 is part of our response to when we see this sin in us. 13, let's say. We'll start at verse 11. And said, That knowing the time that is now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly in the, as in the day and not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chamber and wantonness, not in strife and in envying. 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, uh, to fulfill the desires thereof. This is a heavy little passage here. This is Paul talking about the night is far spent. Now basically, some of it is saying it's getting late, getting kind of late. And there's the state of slumber that he's referring to the people being in. Everybody dwelt down, and it's time to get out of that. It's time to wake up out of your sleep. And his remedy for it, he said, because we put off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. But I like the way Paul always do. He said, you cast off the works of darkness and you put on the armor of light and let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chamber and wants it since not in strife and enemy. He's like, let, what, let us walk honestly. Let us walk upright. Just like in the day, what he means is where your works can be seen. So let us walk upright like everybody can know what it is we got going on. We ain't in rioting, that's fussing and raucous living, not in drunkenness. That's pretty self-explanatory. Say in, in chambering. Chambering is, 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 a, is a coded word for uh, laying together. Yeah, shacking. That, that would be, it said, not in chambering, not in wantonness. Wantonness is another word for lasciviousness. It's a word that basically just allow your lust and the desires of your heart to run wild. So we ain't laying up with folk and we ain't allowing the desires and the lusts of our heart to just run wild. Not in strife, that's back and forth, and not in envying. Now, the amazing thing is about this, if you look at all this, people will cheat. And they say, you see, Paul talks about the outward, riding, drunkenness, chambering, and even they would put wantonness because that's like when you out there just doing it. See, even though that ain't what the word means. That's an application of it, but that's not exactly what it means. So that's all outward stuff. So we need to watch for this outward stuff, but there's inner struggles that I have. What am I supposed to do about that? And Paul added some, he says, strife and envy. Now, you can put strife out there as an outward thing. That fight. You ain't supposed to be out there fighting. But what about envy? Is that an outward thing? Mm, nah, that's something that go on inside of you. All envy mean is warning. Now, hold on now. So that mess up our theology. Because it's easy to cast off the outward stuff. We just stop doing some stuff. But what about this stuff that go on in me? I can't control that. It just happens inside of me. I, I, I can't. Ain't nothing I can do about that. But Paul is telling me we can just cast this stuff out and not do it. How does that work? And he tell you. Instead of doing this stuff, he said, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And what he means by that is clothe yourself in Christ. So you take you and allow Christ to be you. So all of your existence is bound up in him. So the way you think about things is controlled by the way Christ think about things. The stuff that you do, the stuff that you want, the stuff that you desire, you take all that stuff and you submit it to Christ. He's saying this is how you overcome this stuff. Then he added a little bit and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And this is what stuff get a little deep at. And this is what we're going to end at. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. To make provision is just what it says. You make accommodations for it. There's this guy, no. He got a basketball player. And he's a pretty good shooter. And I listened to an interview. And dude got upset. He's pretty, normally a pretty laid back guy. But they got upset and it's like, man, cause you're just such a natural shooter. And dude like, nah, ain't nothing natural about this. 
And he went to go into detail about all the work he put in to be what he was. Talk about the hours he spent up late night taking shots from different parts of the floor over and over again, watching his form, going through the crowd, just doing the hard work, watching what he put in his body, making sure he maintained his health and all that type of stuff. It's like, ain't nothing natural about this. And that always stuck with me because we have this plague in our society with our social everything. We see celebrated the success of multiple people across the planet. And what that produced in us is a desire to get what they got. That's all we want. And then you combat that with the lies that we be telling our children. Like you can be anything. The whole world is open to you. You can be whatever you want to be. And you, and you coalesce that with the idea that I can end up just like this guy and have what he have. That's open for me to the point where now we have high school children who think they're going to be doctors and they're in 11th grade and they make all else and don't go to school. But you ask them, what you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a doctor. Hey, what? <laughs> it's about this serious business. Like, hold on, now. Don't you know doctor go to school, don't But you don't go to school. You skip. <laughs> like, every other day you ain't in class. And when you're in class, you ain't doing no work. But it ain't stuck in their head. A 16, 17-year-old kid that, hey, this doctor thing ain't, ain't, ain't quite going to happen. They still got this hope in them that they're going to be a doctor. And so you got a boatload of a nation of people who think they can get the successes of other people just because they want the successes that other people got. So you got people that you buy basketball and they think they're going to shoot three-pointers like Stephen Curry. And all they're going to do is show up at the game and play. That's a lie. You can watch every video he ever put out. But you ain't going to shoot like he shoot until you do the work that he did. And there's some willingness and there's some sacrifices and there's some grunt that go forth. And some of you got little kids think they're going to be the next Bill Gates. Like, man, say, I don't need, who, who needs school? I don't need no school. Say, I don't need this stuff. There are plenty of millionaires who didn't go to school. It's like, okay, that is true. But you know what them folk did that you don't do? They work. You play Call of Duty. <laughs> I'm saying you, you ain't even get that like that, bro. That's what you do. You you sit there and, and, and then you get bored and go smoke a joint and come back and play some most Call of Duty. And you like in two years I'm gonna be a millionaire. I'm saying I'm gonna have my own house. I'm saying I'm gonna have a big old house. These little conversations I have with young men, like, dude, man, what what you plan on doing? Man, I get out of this thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna give me a house. I'm saying I'm gonna have me a car, man. I'm getting one of them foreign cars. I'm like, like what? A Toyota? <laughs> That's foreign. <laughs> but in their mind, they finna reach the heights of success and be making a whole lot of money with a big old house, living in a big old mansion with a big old fancy car, even though all of their existence is they've been in and out of jail. And they don't see the connection between grinding, discipline, being faithful, and the end results of success. 
They think you're just supposed to get it. And the crazy thing is, is when I speak to people about their spiritual lives, they got somewhat of the same thing. You got folks who are ready to go out and preach to the world. And like, I'm going to be the next Billy Graham. And I ain't even read one whole book in the Bible. I'm talking about not one, not even Philemon. <laughs> they, they ain't read not one book. I'm talking about, you folk be calling, I'm saying, man. I'm saying, cause I know you, you know what I'm saying? You, you want a word, man. See, I ain't a word, man, like that. So I got to talk and dialogue with you cause you helped me on that word thing. Because you got that and I ain't got that. And I thought about it. So why is that? Because I talk to people who are way smarter than me. I ain't that smart. But I remember very early on in this thing that God blessed me. And my TV stopped working. That thing just, boom, just would not turn on. Sarah Benny, big old flow model TV I had. <laughs> Somebody wanted for me downstairs. It was upstairs. In Gilville, and upstairs, that thing in my room. Try to turn it on one day, that sucker would not make a sound. And I'm just sitting there stuck, like, what is us all going to do now? And that's when I rolled, enrolled into Gill Village University. And at Gill Village University, I started learning some things. And I'd be like, hey, you know if you read the Bible, you'll know what's in there? I'm serious, Benny. Because as a young man, I used to be ashamed. I'm saying, we folks used to take us out, and they, they, we go pray. And they'd be like, Everybody let's pray. Then one dude speak up and he'll start praying. And everybody start saying the same prayer. I'm like amazed. Like how everybody know the exact same prayer. Like this is crazy. And then one day I'll read my Bible and I read that thing and say, Our Father, which I did. I said, Hold on, it's that same prayer. <laughs> it's that same prayer. I was clueless. But the amazing thing started happening. I started reading this thing. Then in Gill Village University, it got this connection to a theological institute. It's the Rufus A. Lewis Theological Institute, better known as the library that's on the west side. And I used to walk from Gill Village up to that library every day. And an amazing thing happened when I got in the library. Do you know they got like a whole bunch of books in there? I'm talking about, it's a lot of them. And stuff that I was hearing people talk about, like they, they had like whole books on them. And the amazing thing happened. Them people let me take some of them books home. And I was able to take these people books all the way back down to Gill Village and sit there and, and try to read them. Now, I ain't that good at reading, so it take me a long time, so I end up with fines and all that type of stuff. <laughs> I'm saying I had a little bad nieces that lose them, all that stuff, so I had to sit back a couple months so I can get my five, six dollars back up to pay my fine. Then I go back to the Theological Institute, Rufus A. Lewis Theological Institute. But my point is, is that there were things going on inside of me that I wanted to get right, and I knew need to change. And there were some activities that I would do and that wasn't helping those things. 
And God bless me. Maybe he'll bless y'all like that too. But my TV went out. And you realize that cut out a whole lot of temptation I had? I'm talking about it, it killed a lot of them. Then that put me in a position where I had to do something. And the things I end up doing made it so that I wouldn't put myself in positions where I would be tempted. Because I was reading the Bible and I was going to the library. That's all I was doing. And when I come back to the room, I may chill out with my little brother, play a little NBA live. And after that, when he turn off the game, he get tired of me beating him. I ain't got nothing else to do. So I go steal my mama Bible and I read it. And then amazing thing happened. I realized I understood some stuff that was in the Bible because I was praying and I was reading. Then another amazing thing happened. I realized that the amount of temptation I found myself in drastically decreased. And a verse like this stuck out of my head. Make no provisions for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions. So you put them two together. So you clothe yourself in Jesus. And you set up your life in a manner that the things that are weaknesses to you, you don't put yourself in a position to satisfy those things inside yourself. So it's amazing. I was talking to a young boy who was at state. Brother told me, I'm like, man, you're a Christian. You heard a preaching. He came and listened. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. It's all that good. Man, how long you been saved? I mean, I've been saved this amount of time. It's all that good. It's like, what's your greatest struggle being on this campus? Like, man, to be honest with you, girls. Like, okay, I can understand that. You're a young man. You're on this campus. Most of these women have dress. I can get that, bro. It's like, oh. Uh, so on the weekend, man, what you do? Man, most times I don't do too much. I'm saying every other weekend, so I go out to the club and stuff like that. I'm like, hold up now. I looked at him a little bit strange. I'm like, hold up. Now, now ask me a question. If you had a friend who was an alcoholic and he told you every other weekend he go to the bar, what would you tell him? Like, man, you did say he struggled with alcoholism. You know, yeah. Uh I uh, you know what I'm saying if he's strong enough, I told you he's an alcoholic. Well, but I wouldn't tell him not to go, but it probably wouldn't be a good thing for him to be going to the bar and stuff because you never know what could happen. I'm like, okay, I, I would agree with that. Like, alcoholics shouldn't be around no alcohol, not like that. You say you struggle with temptation with women and all that stuff, that huh? It's like, what be up at them clubs, man? Like, do the women still be half-dressed and, and, and shaking and doing all that type stuff? Like, yeah. Like, okay. And I left them hanging now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's amazing to me that the brother want to be free from lust, but he want to live in a lustful environment. Like, hold on, how you going to do both of them? And it's that inability, that unwillingness to say, I can't do this. And myself, this is sin for me. I can't go around now. It's because we don't want to suffer. We don't want to deny ourselves. We want everything we want. And as long as you're making provisions for your flesh and you setting your life up so that you can satisfy them desires in your heart, you're going to fall. And you're going to be just like them Israelites we're talking about questioning. What do Jesus really save people? No, he don't save you. Because you won't put yourself in a position to allow the Spirit of God to work in you. Anybody got any questions?